aircraft, and we're going to do it not in a mean way. It's really interesting how kind the march is, how people are kind to each other, good people in good spirits. A lot of uh, there's a lot of laughter uh, going on. So it's really they're really quite remarkable events. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Harrison, President of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Harrison, thanks for spending some time with us on the Coffee Hour. Blessings on the march and all those who will be with you. Thank you so much. And I always hear during and after the march how many people were so thankful that we could go and really represent them who weren't able to and how they're praying. It's really inspiring. So the Lord be with you. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Growing up, I never looked forward to my weekend chores. In fact, I would do everything in my power to avoid them. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you thrive with purpose. For many people, reviewing finances can feel a lot like those weekend chores. They're hard to do and it's stressful. Yet going over your financial situation on a regular basis can save you money and stress because you're on top of everything. You'll know what you've earned, spent, and saved over a specific time frame. When reviewing your finances, make sure you're on track with any long-term goals you have, like saving and retirement. You might also want to take note of when tax season is so you don't miss any key deadlines. And be sure to evaluate your charitable donations to make sure your giving reflects your values. So don't look at finances like a weekend chore. Move it from the bottom of your to-do list to the top. When you have financial clarity, you'll find it easier to live the life God has for you. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. This is a test of the emergency alert system. This has been a test of the emergency alert system. On this Friday, January 21st, 2022, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, John and Kim Beaker of St. Louis, Missouri, as they give thanks to the Lord for the blessing of family. John and Kim made a gift to KFUO Radio in honor of their granddaughter, Catherine Elizabeth, as she celebrates her baptismal birthday today. Thank you, John and Kim Beaker, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors.
1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His Word. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois at 8 a.m. and Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri at 1040 a.m. As well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in DePere, Missouri at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. This is By the Way. In the Northern Hemisphere, today is the day with the shortest amount of sunlight, the darkest day of the year, as it were. But this day, the winter solstice, signals the beginning of that time of the year when daylight hours begin to increase. I find it significant that we celebrate Christmas right after the winter solstice. Christmas is about Jesus Christ, the light of the world coming to earth, and we pray that the light of Christ becomes even more evident in the days ahead. So apart from the physical light, we can celebrate this day and every day, light from above and the light of the world, the Christ of Christmas. This is By the Way. Listening to Long Gospel on this Open Mic Friday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker on January the 21st in the year of our Lord 2022. And what we're going to be looking at is questions about a reading that occurred a couple of weeks ago, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. It's got quite a number of interesting tidbits to it that I think you would like to hear. It's from John chapter 2, 1 to 11. The first verse, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, what I found interesting here is that Jesus was also there, but Mary is spoken of being there first, before Jesus. And then there's this third day. Now, normally when we think about the third day, we're thinking about three days after the crucifixion and the resurrection. But that's not this third day. This is from the Gospel of John. And he talks about the life of Jesus after he became the individual to be preacher to the nations. And that occurred at the baptism of John. So the first day, and he even calls it the first day, was when John the baptizer confesses Jesus and Andrew and Peter become his disciples. Then John talks about the second day when Philip and Nathaniel become his disciples. And then on the third day is the wedding at Cana. 
So, this is how John talks about this. Notice that John doesn't have, at the beginning of his gospel, anything about Christmas. He's a lot like the gospel according to St. Mark, where they both talk about the ministry of John the baptizer and the baptism of Jesus. Nothing about Christmas. You want to know about Christmas? Well, then you read the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Luke. So why is Mary first mentioned? Well, I I believe it's part of a conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees uh, later in his ministry. They were telling Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham said. You are doing the works your father did. And in fact, He also goes on and says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Now, how do the Pharisees kind of try to get even with Jesus? What they say is, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, what they're saying is it was a well-known fact that from their point of view, Jesus was born out of wedlock prior to the time that Joseph and Mary became married. And so they're putting him down, saying that, boy, we were not born of sexual immorality. In fact, there's a writing called the Talmud that's done by Jewish scholars. And in the Talmud, Jesus is mentioned 20 times. And specifically, they say that he was born an illegitimate son of a Roman soldier called Panthera, nicknamed the Panther. And that's how Mary got pregnant. Whether she was raped, whether or not she was consensual, that's what they teach. Nobody would speak about Jesus, whose father was the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. In fact, a lot of times when Jesus is in Nazareth, which is a reading for this coming week, they talk about, well, isn't Joseph his father? And so nobody ever mentions the virgin birth, even though it's prophesied 
in Isaiah 7:14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So this is John's way of indicating that Mary is truly the mother of Jesus. And though the people don't know how it came about, they learned afterwards, that is, after the resurrection, when the message was written down in Matthew and in Luke and other parts of the Bible. Verse 2, Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, weddings were really quite different in that day than they are today. The fact of the matter is, wedding celebrations normally lasted a number of days, and the guests in attendance were usually connected in a social manner. As small as Cana was, it's quite possible the whole town was at the wedding, and I think God did that on purpose, brought a lot of people to the wedding because they ran out of wine. See, they were obliged to go to the wedding even if they disliked the people getting married. It was socially inappropriate. So here we have Jesus and his disciples. But since this was only the third day since he was anointed to do ministry after the baptism of John the Baptist, therefore the only disciples he had were five of them. Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and an anonymous disciple mentioned in chapter 1, verse 35. There's no mention in this gospel of John of the arrival of the other disciples, though by chapter 6, it is spoken of the 12, without giving any indication when and from where the other seven came. Now, you can look at some of the other books, like in Matthew. Who was Matthew? He was a tax collector. And Jesus said, follow me. So, getting back to the wedding, there was no doubt when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, we're not sure why she went to talk to Jesus. But there are a couple of things that are interesting here. Perhaps Mary was part of the wedding preparation. Maybe she was cooking food. She had a lot of friends in Cana. And normally when a wife is in trouble and needs help, she goes to her husband. But it appears that Joseph wasn't there. It's not that Cana was days away from Nazareth. In fact, we know that they were, Cana was only about nine miles north of Nazareth. So it appears that by this time, Joseph had died. 
And now that if he was dead and no mention of him here or anywhere else as alive after Christ entered public ministry, then who would be next in line? That would be the oldest son of Mary, and that was Jesus. Now, there's no doubt the Bible talks about him having brothers and sisters, but we're not quite yet sure as to whether or not those were brothers and sisters from a previous marriage of Joseph or whether they were of Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born. At any rate, wine was an Old Testament symbol of physical and spiritual joy, future hope, and abundance. Therefore, if you attended a wedding and the first wine given out was of poor quality, or if the wine ran out, that was a social blunder. And so Mary went to Jesus talking to him that the wine has gone out. During the wedding celebration, it would have been a loss of family honor and status because weddings in those days was not just between the husband and wife. They were between two families, the family of the husband and the family of the wife. The narrative gives no indication regarding the reason that Jesus' mother is involved. And it does not explain what options she had besides turning to Jesus. In other words, it's impossible to reconstruct her intentions, but there's no doubt that she spoke it softly, telling Jesus of the celebration's plight in the hope that he might intervene. Maybe he would send his disciples to buy some more wine. Who knows? And that's why in verse 4, Jesus' response to her is somewhat surprising. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Uh, another way of translating that is, woman, what has this to do with us? And then he gives the reason. My hour has not yet come. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the New Testament, the hour of Jesus referred to that hour of his sufferings and death. And that's the phrase that was used. And he says it was not proper for him at this time to work miracles as yet lest it should provoke his enemies to seek his life before the time was ready for him to die. Remember, he was three years in ministry. And so there's no doubt that when Jesus did miracles among the Jews, they were somewhat private. 
like he'll tell a person after he healed them, don't go and tell anyone that I healed you. And of course, they'd go out and tell everybody. When he did the miracles among the Gentiles, he did them more publicly since the Gentiles at this time were not out to put him to death. But the Pharisees didn't like his miracles because it was giving people the impression that he could be the coming Messiah. And how could someone who was part of sexual immorality be the Messiah of God? So what did Jesus do? He did the miracle, but he did it privately. Now, you might not have figured that out when you were reading this text. What does it mean he did it privately? Well, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then it goes on and shows what Jesus did. There were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, and each of them held between, oh, 20 or 30 gallons. And so these stone water jars were ceremonial for the rites of purification. What was purification? For example, if you attend a Roman Catholic church, a lot of times when the people enter the church, they may dip their hand in the baptismal water at the front before they go down the pew uh, or down the aisle to their pew. These purification rites were also necessary in Jesus' day. They did not have clean paved roads. Many of the roads were dusty. So what happened when you went to someone's house? Well, you had to have your feet washed. Remember the time that Jesus went to wash the feet of the disciples and hands would be washed and all kinds of vessels, vessels of dung in stone vessels. And the reason that it was done in stone vessels is the stone would not retain the smell of what had been in them when they were empty. So Jesus used these and he told them, go ahead and fill them with water. They had never been used to have wine in them and therefore stone to retain the scent of former liquors no, it wasn't there. They contained two or three firkins, and most scholars believe that was 20 or 30 gallons. Very, very heavy. And in biblical uses, purification refers to a certain rite in the external worship of God. It seeks to remove legal uncleanness, so that the purified individual may resume normal activity in society. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite doesn't stop 
to help the Jewish man who was wounded because of robbers, because then they would have to go through rites of purification. Those rites, by the way, are described in Leviticus, chapter 14, for example. And they were extended into the post-Babylonian period in a variety of various cases. Cups and pots and brazen vessels were washed as a matter of ritual observance. And the washing of hands before meals was conducted in a former, formal manner. Remember how the Pharisees complained that Jesus' disciples did not wash their hands ahead of time. That was more a ritual of purification. So, Jesus is talking to the servants. He says, fill the jars with water. And it says they fill them up to the brim. Now, why do they fill them up to the brim? Because that was what Jesus ordered. And when they're filled up to the brim, nobody could pour in wine because it would have overflowed over the pots. And therefore, it was clear that the wine had become wine from water. Nothing else was put into the jars because they were filled up to the brim. They were not capable of having any other liquid infused into them. So strictly observing the orders of Christ and the instructions of his mother, the servants were the ones who did this. Now, that's really important. When I was at the seminary, we had the vast majority of professors who did not believe the Bible. There were only five of them who were Bible believers, and the rest, they kind of made up stories. And I, I remember in being in class that they would always try and give reasons why what Jesus did was not a miracle. And in this particular situation, it was explained to us in class that what happened is the servants were really the five disciples. Jesus used them. They took these empty jars, went out, did not fill them with water, filled them with wine, and therefore brought them back filled with wine. It kind of reminds me, I mean, this was done throughout class after class. There was the feeding of the 5,000. That also was suggested. It wasn't a miracle. That little boy had some fish and bread that he had brought with him because he knew it was going to be a long day, and he brought it out to give to Jesus. When the people saw what the little boy did, they felt embarrassed, and they brought out their lunches that they had under their robes. That's how they carried them. And they ended up feeding one another. So there was no miraculous feeding of 5,000 people. It was just watching the little boy and doing what he did. 
that's the kind of teaching we got at the seminary. So, going back to reality, Jesus said to them, to the servants, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. This is also referred to as the governor of the feast. Either he had the ordering and management of the feast under his control. The Ethiopic translation calls him the master of the waiters or the master of the servants. And therefore, he was the one upon whom it was proper to go to when the wine ran out because he was responsible for making sure that wouldn't happen. For example, he also helped with the six or seven benedictions to be pronounced. Not long ago, I was kind of involved in a call meeting. Congregation was calling a pastor and I was asked by the district president to be there. And what I did, I had three prayers. At the beginning of the meeting, when they were about to take the vote, writing the names of the pastor they wanted on slips of paper, and at the end of the meeting. So we see that happening even in marriages where there are prayers and benedictions. Everything was involved with making sure that these blessings could occur if there was enough wine. Now, verse 9 says, When the master of the house tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Everybody serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So that's the first miracle, according to verse 11. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And then the next phrase is really important. And manifested his glory. Now, that word for manifest is epiphanerosin, where we get the word epiphany in the English. So now we understand what the season of epiphany is about. The season of Advent was about the comings of Jesus in the Bethlehem stable into your heart through conversion, on Judgment Day, etc. Epiphany are Sundays in which what happens? God manifests himself as God. And yet nobody understood that among the disciples of Jesus till after the resurrection. But Jesus did manifest himself. Remember, the first sign of Epiphany was his baptism. The father said, this is my beloved son. 
Then we have the wedding at Cana, where who but God could change that much water into wine? You remember another time that water was changed into something? This was the first miracle of Jesus. The first miracle of Moses was changing the water in the Nile into blood. What a difference. I'm Tom Baker. Be with us on our next broadcast. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. You are an essential part of KFUO's efforts to proclaim the gospel, and we want to hear from you. Please share with us your feedback, suggestions, and questions. Email us at kfuo at kfuo.org or mail a letter to KFUO Radio at 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also call in your comment or question at 314-996-1518. Be sure to follow us on social media so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Have you ever wondered how remarkable it is that we are still talking about Jesus of Nazareth today? There's something about this Middle Eastern preacher, healer, miracle worker. He's still catching people, even today. Dr. Michael Ziegler talks about the power of Jesus' words and story this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on KFUO. Background music can calm and soothe people, but if the music is significant and meaningful, bringing it out of the background and into full attention brings an even greater reward. Each week, Sing for Joy brings you music worthy of your attention. I hope you'll join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Proclaiming Christ for you in word and song. 850 KFUO Clayton, K224FT St. Louis. Good morning. It's time for Daily Chapel at the LCMS International Center in St. Louis. Today we follow the order of Matins found on page 219 in Lutheran Service Book. The hymn is number 399. The star proclaims the king is here. The text is John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. The Reverend Dr. Rick Serena is preaching. The broadcast of Chapel is underwritten by LCMS International Mission and Ministry to the Armed Forces. We now join the live service. The order of service this morning is Daily Prayer for Morning, page 295 in your hymnals. Please stand.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. My mouth is filled with your praise. O Lord, open my lips. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The psalm this morning is Psalm 67. We speak Psalm 67 responsively by verse. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, will be forever. We sing hymn number 399.
The lesson is from St. John, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in 